Hey guys, and welcome back to the latest Teach of Tomorrow podcast episode with your co-host, Matt, soon to be Mr. Aldring. And your co-host, Sam, soon to be Mr. Gregory. And we are here to share our journey, experiences and views on all things education. Hi guys, and welcome back to the latest podcast episode, where today we're joined by Meg O'Shea, who's going to be talking to us about the subject around uh, bipolar disorder and how she deals with it on her journey to becoming a teacher. Uh, Meg, great to have you on. I'm really excited to learn a lot from you. Um, it's a subject that I don't know much about. So yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting for, for everyone listening, including ourselves. Just um, before we get started, do you want to just give a little background on who you are and, and where you are currently on your teaching journey? Um, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm currently doing my PGCE. I started in September 2019, but due to COVID, I was placed in group three, so I have to do another placement. I did education and social sciences as my undergraduate, and I was diagnosed with bipolar six years ago. So I've had that through my teaching career. Ah. So just for people, just if they don't understand, you say you got grouped in group three. What 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 does that mean, Meg? Um, the Department of Education grouped all current PGC students into three groups to deal with COVID-19. So group ones were people who were recommended for their QTS after only having two placements. Group two were people who needed to be re-evaluated at the end of the third remote placement and group three people needed an extra placement to support their studies. Okay and also you've just touched on as well that you were diagnosed with bipolar six years ago. So how how did that diagnosis originally make you feel and how is it like affected or impacted on your your daily life um my bipolar diagnosis came god four years after i was diagnosed with depression um it affected my life quite a lot because i was diagnosed right before i went into rehab so i had a manic episode which means my diagnosis changed because you have to have a manic episode to be diagnosed but it did make quite a big effect. I had to change all my medication and stuff. So it had, it wasn't the best thing I've been diagnosed with, but yeah. Yeah. And just, just on that then. So, I mean, you said that you've, you were only diagnosed with bipolar like six years ago. I mean, that's quite a long time in your life that you haven't been diagnosed. Had you been previously like diagnosed with ADHD or unipolar depression? Cause there's like research out there that suggests that, um, sometimes children um or people get uh, diagnosed with the wrong mental illness and that obviously has impacts or detrimental impacts later on in their life yeah so i was diagnosed with dysthymia which is a low mood disorder when i was like 13 14 which was obviously not treated with antidepressants because i was so young when i turned 17 i was put on sertraline because it didn't get better so i was put on an antidepressant and officially diagnosed with depression and then, so obviously that was the wrong diagnosis because treating bipolar with just antidepressants can make manic episodes worse. So that was, you know, a good couple of years before they realized that it wasn't depression and actually the meds that I was on were making it worse. And just going on from that really, um, obviously you might've had an experience with it. Like why, why is there such confusion between these uh, mental illnesses and why is there a problem like diagnosing um, people or children uh, with the right um, mental illness that am I saying that politically correct is it is it men, mental illness can I say that or am I saying this wrong no you can say mental illness I mean loads of people will classify it as different things a lot of people 
in universities especially it's classed as a disability so I guess it really yeah. depends where you want to go with it but it's not politically incorrect to say mental right. illness children aren't usually diagnosed with bipolar disorder because as I said before you have to have a manic episode before you can be diagnosed with bipolar so in order for a child to experience that high emotion you know a lot of people will confuse it for ADHD like you said so mania can often be noticed you know being highly promiscuous spending a lot of money all things children don't have access to so more often than not it could seem you know they're overexcitable so it's ADHD and they're put on medication that doesn't actually help they're essentially put on Ritalin Adderall if it's really bad but that can also be the starting signs of bipolar but because they've not got access to mess up their financials their family life anything like that they're just assumed to be you know a little bit difficult and a little bit overactive or aggressive because obviously mania isn't just happiness it just means essentially erratic's a better word for it and just before Matty goes on just yeah i think it's brilliant that you've been able to differentiate your answers and yeah, just give us that insight really because I think it's really important to raise that awareness, um, especially with the, the different mental illnesses out there and for people like me and Matty and other people who are not quite uh, aware of everything that's out there, it's important that we can inform people about these issues within our society. Yeah, and just before we, we move on to further questions, and anyone that wants to get in touch with Meg after the episode, um, just for more information about the subject or just follow our journey into teaching. Um, you can get in touch with her on Instagram, which is at student underscore. Equally, if you want to get in touch with us after the episode, it's at the teachers of tomorrow. Um, and also on Twitter, you can get us on at tftpod. Because I think, like you say, it's going to be a really important subject for a lot of people. And there's probably going to be plenty of people out there, like yourself, going into teaching that may be, may be suffering or dealing with um, bipolar disorder that may not have even come across it yet themselves and for someone like yourself being out there and talking about your experiences um, and how you're sort of moving forward with it in your career I think it would just be really helpful for people moving into your teaching career um, how do you feel that the support is available there for you do you think there's there's enough out there for people like yourself moving forward or could there be more done and if so where could it be improved um, I think personally for the university that I've attended, there could be more done. Most, because it's such a stigmatised thing, a lot of people don't come forward with it. So I, I originally didn't disclose my bipolar because in order to disclose my bipolar, I had to formally identify as a disabled student, which I don't see myself as, I don't see it as a disability, which is where a lot of people who I know with bipolar feel the same. It's not a disability, but in order to get the support, and be able to pass it on to you know the relevant people such as placements or tutors you have to identify as a disabled student in writing so that they can provide the extra support which seems a bit backwards personally because my university offered support groups for male trainee teachers because obviously there's a lot of them apart from you two i don't know many male trainee teachers you know caregivers stuff like that but there wasn't anything for people with mental health issues because that was dealt as a disability so they tried to group it in with, you know, people with physical ailments, which obviously isn't quite the same. It's not, yeah. it's completely different things and it should be handled in a way that's more inclusive and doesn't make people feel like they have to say that there's something that they don't agree with. And that, that's probably relatable to kind of most, well, children particularly that are grouped in SEND categories, a lot of them, 
you know, for me personally, I don't see maybe things like dyslexia or stuff like that as a disability. It's more just a something that you've got to deal with and work around. I'm sure you probably feel the same in regards to, to bipolar, you know, it's, to you, it's obviously not a disability. You're not, it doesn't hamper you in a way that's like so detrimental to your career and moving forward, but you're kind of stigmatized and, and categorized in, into that sort of that role, which is probably why you maybe feel that the support might not be there um, as much as, as other areas such as, you know, males in primary school teaching. Just quickly going back to sort of, you touched on having medication and working out and balancing your medication for when you were younger or when you first were diagnosed compared to where you are now. Um, in terms of your teacher training year, the one that you've just been on, how did that impact um, your sort of placements and, and your school year really? Yeah, so I, um, it affected my mildly because I have to medicate three times throughout the day. So there has to be a time in the school day where I take my medication. And if it's in a lesson time, I try to take them quite uniformly because I'm on such high doses that they have to be done at the same day. So I'm very rigid in my routine. I try to be anyway. But um, because of that, I had to, um, so I medicate at one o'clock. That's my time because it's just a good time to do it. But a lot of the time schools have gone back into lessons. So I have to work around that. And it's sometimes quite difficult because if I miss it, it has a big, has a big knock on effect, which then leads to other things. But also my medication has a lot of severe side effects, such as um, I get quite bad tremors. So I struggle to write sometimes. I get quite stuttery when I'm stressed. It has a lot of things, double vision, stuff like that, which can affect obviously when I'm teaching. So I have to be on the ball for just to be prepared for that because there's nothing I can do to change those side effects. I have to be aware and I disclose it to the class teacher. And just, um, yeah, there's been a few setbacks for having medication but obviously it's better to have it than to not have it and so, just on that really um we on one of our latest episodes uh, with professor jonathan glazard i mean he he gave us so much knowledge and insight to actually um the new ofsted framework and how they're looking to support um mental health and well-being uh, not for just for pupils but also teachers as well uh, going into profession and also teachers who are already working he said that within the new offset framework uh, that was published in 2019, that um, mental health and well-being is now part of personal development for children. It's not yet part of the um, SLT curriculum for uh, leadership to essentially have that responsibility to take on to um, learn about it and become more aware of it for their for their staff. However, what he was saying was that um, there are a lot of schools out there who have a really positive school culture, which helps towards like their staff deal with like mental health and, and well-being. With your experiences, do you feel like that there is a positive school culture out there with, with the schools that you've been in and how, like, you know, when you disclose it to like a, uh, like a class teacher, what's their, what's their reaction been to that? Is it, has it been positive? I think, I think there is a really strong support for mental health, but I think it's completely limited to depression and anxiety anything further out than that it's it scares people because they're not openly aware to it so it took me a long long time to feel comfortable in myself to say I have bipolar like I used to not take my medication I didn't identify with it because the thing about bipolar and any other illness that makes you a bit erratic or psychosis is that you don't think anything's happened like in your mind everything you do is right so in order to identify as that and pass it on 
to a class teacher who you know will feel not uncomfortable but like you know a bit intrigued a bit kind of confused because not a lot of people don't understand it it doesn't always get the best reception so I actually had I was told by my university not to disclose my bipolar to my first school which led to me feeling like I had to hide something I missed some of my medication because it was school times I couldn't just say to them and it had a really big toll so when the school did find out there was a huge backlash because they were annoyed I hadn't said and then they thought it was worse than it was and there was these things around am I safe around the children am I going to be okay and obviously the medication covers that and stops me from having any episodes which could cause huge issues but because the university told me not to say like it made me very aware that schools do not have the support to support those teachers because it's not something that everyone it's not as common as depression and anxiety so a lot of people don't know how to support it which is completely understandable but it does mean I haven't been in a school that has a support system which includes bipolar. Well I, th I think you've sort of well you've said that it's, it's understandable I think this is why we're really happy that you're on because it is important it is important to w raise awareness so that we go from the stereotype of being comfortable with just for example anxiety and depression we need to know that there are more um, mental uh, illnesses out there that are impacting on people and it shouldn't have an impact on like yourself being being a teacher because if you are a very very good teacher and if you have big if big if <laughs> if you if you have things in place that support you and allow you to work in that school environment and you have your like you said your routine then there's no reason why you should be um, not allowed to excel in primary education and, and be a teacher. And I think collectively, as an education system, we have to do more in order to promote awareness so that people like you, you shouldn't have, have that worry of, of, or should I disclose it? Or is this person gonna be okay with it? Everyone in education should be aware of it, should be educated on it. Like, like even me and Matty as well, like this is why we want to have this conversation so that, yeah, people are accepting of it because it's just, it's, the, it's society, like everyone's different, and, but, but, but you've proven that, that, that you can handle it and, and cope with it as well. I'm actually quite surprised and a bit shocked, to be honest, when you just said about uh, the university telling you not to disclose the information. Um, I think from a, someone like myself who doesn't suffer from, from uh, mental health issues and things like that, just hearing that other people are kind of almost putting you in that category and, and like kind of just telling you to avoid talking about something that you obviously have to deal with going forward and it's going to hamper your career from a professional aspect I think is just shocking to be honest I'm absolutely disgusted <laughs> in what I've in what I've just heard um trying to be as liberal and diplomatic as possible here but I'm absolutely you know what I'm it's absolutely understandable though it's but it's all fear. Like people are scared of what they don't understand. I'm and the scared. main thing about bipolar in the news, it's always like this bipolar person, you know, they killed someone, but she was bipolar. Like what? the insanity defense, it's usually schizophrenia, bipolar. And it is understandable. Like I don't, I don't grudge them it. I don't think they should have done it. And I'm, like, it would I'm be scared. great if people understood, but no one, like no one really understands until you see it firsthand. And like people are given that insight, like in some current affairs, but like, it's not, people won't understand it if they can't see it. And that's a fact. So I, 
they're going to be scared. Talking about current affairs, because we had a really interesting conversation actually last night about it. Um, just t- tell, right, please outline what you were telling me last night about Kanye West, because I had no, no idea about this. And this, this is how like convenient and relevant it is. And, and who it actually and who it affects. I'm not saying because it's Kanye West, like that's that's something important. I'm just saying that it is out there, like in society, like and the conversation that you had with me yesterday just yeah blew my mind. I was like, yeah, no way. <laughs> um, so there's all the stuff about Kanye West and his presidential campaign, and obviously, I think it was two nights ago, like within this week, he obviously had his breakdown on stage about his daughter North and abortion. Kanye West has been known to refuse bipolar medication because it stifles his creativity, which obviously is the highs and the lows. And so like each year he has like maybe one or two breakdowns, but the media kind of, they latch onto it. So when he's having this breakdown, he's, you know, Kanye West, he's got bipolar. But then when he's just producing music and he's living his life, he's just Kanye West. So on top of like the already out there stigma, people are using Kanye West, having his actual like breakdown on stage, which is like, it kind of hits home to see it when you've been through it because he won't have any control over what he's saying, but he'll also think he's right. Like, and so everything he's saying is completely normal to him, but the media are just like abusing his vulnerability, which is why I posted something on my Instagram saying, if anyone entertains it, I don't need them on my Instagram. And I'm quite happy to unfollow them because entertaining it or kind of making fun of him being that emotional and making it into like memes all of the people around him though, and this is i think this is the thing that annoyed me with what you just said just a minute ago about the university thing the people around you should be there to protect you and help you in a way that supports you and supports what people like yourself are dealing with and so i think for me that was what what i found so shocking was that just that support wasn't there for the for him in that particular situation and for you obviously in going into your first placement and i think that this is why it's so important to have these discussions. Like, I don't know hardly anything about um, sort of mental mental illness and things like that because it's just not something that I've I've read up on and experienced myself, and it's it's not something that I've seen that much in terms of the diversity of, of mental mental health. And so, having these discussions with people like yourself, I mean, similar sort of situations to myself going into your teaching journey, it's important to recognise the different the differences that maybe people like myself are having and, and, you know, people like yourself are going through and having them conversations. So maybe one day if you're feeling down or you, and you want to talk to me about it or vice versa, it's, it's kind of like a, it's just like a safe zone. Do you know what I mean? And just having that support network around you. Yeah, a hundred percent. I do think it's super important, but unless the person wants to help themselves, you can't, obviously you can't tell someone that what they're feeling isn't valid. And you can't tell them what they're feeling isn't correct. So unless he's, or anyone with an illness is willing to get that help, then they won't. There was actually a girl who contacted me on Instagram. I'm going to keep her anonymous. She contacted me about having bipolar affective disorder, which is, it's um, the crossover between bipolar and schizophrenia. So it's kind of, it's a bit more extreme than bipolar, but it's less extreme than schizophrenia. And she's, she disclosed it and now she's scared and stressed that she disclosed it. So she wants to take it back because she just wants to pretend it's not there. So I think there's a lot of things about that, that it's easy. A lot of the time it is easier to pretend it's not there and keep it to yourself. So I don't, you know, I didn't, I don't disclose it when I apply for jobs or anything like that, because it's just, it's an extra piece of ammunition. Essentially. It's something that they can be like, Ooh, like we need to have equality, but not 
you know, it's easier to, like, no one knows how to support it. I think, I think on that note as well, I think, sorry, I'm just jumping ahead of Matty, because I think it's something that you said, like, you touched on, like, the media, like, I, I've been guilty of it, like, until you had that conversation with me about Kanye West, like, obviously I'm not judgmental of him, but, like, my thing to you, I was like, oh, well, did you see, like, Kanye West, like, he was, like, going mad, but that's because, like, guilty on my part, like, I've not gone out and, like, educated myself on, like, the reasons why, but also about how much of a role do you actually feel, like, the media have, um, like, not helping these issues be, being aware, because, obviously, media is everywhere, we're now on social media, and I feel like, obviously, with the conversation we've had and what you've just touched on, if they did start to raise awareness and actually uh, the headlines were, like, actually factual about what was going on with Kanye, essentially, how much of a change would do you make that, how much of a change would you think that make on, like, other impacts in society, like education, for example? I think it would change it massively because when you're, when you're manic or when you're in any heightened state, you're vulnerable and you're susceptible to what people are saying. So a lot of people, you know, for instance, so when that headline was released afterwards saying, you know, Kanye West breaks down and um, Kim Kardashian tweeted something, he now keeps using that against her. So there's one thing that he's pulled on and it's a negative from the headlines. And now he's saying there's white supremacists and like everyone's trying to ship him off, which wasn't the issue before he wasn't, aware of that so if it was a normal headline something about bipolar and a factual thing then I think it would be different because you wouldn't latch on to the negatives so now if people think about bipolar they think oh Kanye West oh he had a, you know a breakdown and he was talking about aborting his daughter which obviously is like that's a very upsetting thing for a lot of people when they think of bipolar they'll think of Kanye West and they won't think of you know the difficulties surrounding it they will just think of a man who got like overly upset on stage and there's nothing that you know, everyone's so into the media nowadays, obviously, like I read it as well, but everyone's so into the media nowadays that that is just going to be the thing that they think about when they think about bipolar or, you know, if you watch like some TV shows, the person with, um, is it Homeland? The main character in that's got bipolar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So like when people think about that, they think about, you know, Claire Danes as well. And actually it's just, it's not, you know, it doesn't make you like a magical crime solver and it doesn't make you, you know, an overly emotional kind of, very controversial person but that's two that's only two representations in the media but there isn't very many positive ones you don't see like Kanye West bipolar you know donates however much money to charity which he does do it's just Kanye West donates money to charity it's only when he's upset that he's bipolar like bipolar that's how the media is that's just the media me the power of media <laughs> um sort of moving forward is just trying to bring it back to the actual teaching side of things now because we've gone off a bit on tangent and that's probably my fault for losing my head um, it's fine though. It's it's important though. It's it, it's important. Yeah. Going into sort of you, you touched on how you, you kind of plan your medication around your, your day and teaching. That's kind of a way of you coping and, and like a strategy for you to maintain your professionalism in school. Um, in terms of anyone else that might be suffering or going through the same thing as you, have you got any other sort of tips or strategies that you would recommend to people? maybe in the same position as yourself going through a teaching degree or maybe just starting their teaching degree or even starting a university degree just in general you got any tips for for moving forward um i would say just for university in general i would just kind of say for anything really is not to take too much on board and try keep like don't try keep it to yourself just because it's easier once you have the uncomfortable conversation once just saying like i do suffer from a severe mental illness like this is 
like this is that and it can be embarrassing and feel stressful but once you say it people can't make you feel ashamed or embarrassed about something that you openly own so i think that's really important for like any degree any teaching degree going into any job really like i know i said i don't disclose it i probably should but that's just you know sometimes it'll come out later on and it's better to just be open about it and upfront and also realize what limitations it has so i don't drink because it exacerbates my um it just exacerbates my symptoms which is a way that i cope with it a lot of people will cope with it with intense exercise or a lot of meditation i know a lot of people who do it through mindfulness and they need to take breaks throughout the day like you just need to learn your coping mechanisms they won't necessarily be the same as mine you need to learn them and you need to openly implement them like regardless of whether it makes it a bit difficult or not you have to you have to have the strength which i know can be super hard to say you know this is what i need to do or i will be and well, you need to accept it and realize that until you accept it and openly say, you're not going to be able to proceed in the best way possible. And you won't be able to be the best version of yourself. Like that's just a fact. I think it's interesting as well that you, that you've touched on, um, like you, you've got coping mechanisms, um, or things that you do, but like you said, it's not, it might not work for other people. Like we touched on that on our, obviously our starting episode on wellbeing, um, and how like, I do certain things for me, but they might be different, different from other people. So it's, yeah, like you said, it's really important that people find those things that make them happy or can get them in a good headspace so they can cope with things that are going on in, in their life uh, on a daily. Obviously you've touched on their um, tips for people going into their uh, uni, uni degree or teacher training year for you. Um, fingers crossed. And we both hope that, that you will. And we are, we are sure that you will, you will, <laughs> NQT and you will absolutely smash it how are you as a teacher then how are you going to raise um like awareness for mental health within the school or the classroom that you that, that you're working um I'm quite open about it with you know students of like a certain age so upper key stage too if it comes up in usually it comes up in PSHE but I know it's all changing to have like its own separate kind of lessons in like mindfulness and understanding mental health like I know it's kind of branching off into that within the curriculum like the mental health is going to have its own curriculum or within PHSE I think within PSHE but there'll be more focus on it so when I was in school you didn't really touch on it like I mean you kind of touched on like mild illnesses but it didn't really cover everything but obviously as things get more out there people do have to share and I'm hoping not hoping I just kind of share my I would share my experiences if it came up, but obviously it's one of those things that I'll always promote inclusiveness, but I don't know necessarily if I would personally tell them that I have bipolar, if that makes sense. Like teaching RE, you can't, you don't say your religion, you just explain everything yeah. because you can't have like, you can't have a certain... You can't be biased, can you? It's the whole point. Yeah, that's the thing. And also... I think it's hard to introduce into primary education. I really do think it would be hard to say, this is schizophrenia, this is bipolar, because obviously children will kind of run with one idea. So they'll hear one bit of it and be like, oh, like that's quite cool. I think it will be something that's introduced in secondary school, I hope. But I think for now, for where I'm going to be teaching, it will just be general inclusiveness. Yeah, I think absolutely right in what you're saying. Um, and it is about sort of raising that inclusive awareness within the curriculum, not just 
mental health, but also other areas which we'll touch on, such as LGBTQ, uh, racial diversity, um, cultural understanding, et cetera, et cetera. They're all really equally important points, um, which we'll go on to at the end of the at the end of the episode. In terms of us training teachers like ourselves who maybe don't understand or don't don't suffer with bipolar disorder or, or mental health illness, what can we do kind of to help raise awareness? I know I know obviously we're having this conversation now, which is great, but is there kind of anything that we can do maybe when we're we're going in schools or um is it a sort of similar thing to what you're doing in terms of just just discussing everything in, in, a, in an open and an open and yeah. safe environment? Well, I think if you've not had any personal experience with being near someone with bipolar or you know any sort of mental illness that's kind of not as openly discussed, I think it's just wiping any like preconceived notions, whether they're good or bad, like just wiping them and just kind of going in with an open mind, like a blank slate, so someone can share what they know with you. So there's like, you know, like we were all looking at earlier trying to find studies about it. I think even though there are good connotations and bad, you need to go in just completely like blank minded or try to ignore, like overwrite what you've seen secondhand, like the media, like we were saying, or, you know, what, like the simplified version of what it would be, which isn't often accurate. So it's just maybe going in with a blank slate and just realizing that for a lot of people with a diagnosis like mine or like any other disorder, a lot of people don't want it to be the defining factor of them. So, you know, I used to think that like my bipolar defined me as a person. Like I had bipolar disorder, like, but it's just a part of me. It makes me who I am, but it isn't, it's that's not, not me. Right. Like, and if, yeah. So if people, I have a lot of people asking me about it and that's so awesome. Like on my Instagram, I have loads of people talking to me about it and that's fine. But it's not just, you know, that's not the only thing I post about on my Instagram because it's yeah. not the only part of me. So I think that's another thing to be super careful that you don't, you know, completely just think, okay, so like you have to be super careful cause they're bipolar. Like, yeah. I think it just goes back to that categorization, doesn't it? And like you touched on, you know, we don't want to be labeling you as Meg with bipolar. You'll be, <laughs> you'll be Meg the teacher. Yeah. I think one of the important things that you touched on as well is that obviously I think and you've touched on it earlier on, on the episode as well is that we as t- like teachers um, should be open for discussion about it. So if someone is suffering with it within our, I don't know, a colleague or something like that, have the conversation. Don't, don't, don't be scared about it. Like, th- like for me, for example, at the start of this episode, I, that I wanted to make sure that I was saying like I was politically correct in what I was saying, have the conversation because if you don't ask, you're not going to know and you're not educating yourself. Like, and th- this is why it's really important for us that we, that we are having this conversation with you so we can have it, um, bring more awareness to us, for, for us as well, uh, going forward. Um, so I just, I, I think that's a really, really important uh, thing that you've spoken about, about just being open and just being able to talk about it as well. So don't, yeah, just don't be scared about it. Yeah. And I would have definitely said something wrong in this episode. So <laughs> no doubt, no doubt that'll be a coming back to haunt me in the future, but there we go. Such, such is life. Um, it moves quite nicely, though, into our sort of CPD section now. have got a paper here from Charlotte Morris in 2010 um, who talks about the Open Minds Project, uh, which develops inclusive learning culture for children um, with mental health difficulties, which I think would be a really good paper to, to use and discuss and if you want to find out some further information on, on the subject of mental health um, within children. And also, there's another couple of campaigns which... I know you're going to touch on now. Uh, first of all, there's one called the No Outsiders campaign, which 
was introduced for not necessarily the mental health um, side of children's learning development, but introduced for the LGBTQ community, um, in particular looking at books and resources. Would you care just to elaborate a bit more on what that, what that entails? Yeah, so the No Outsiders project was introduced in 2014 in Birmingham, and it's essentially to integrate LGBT, an LGBT understanding within other subjects that isn't PSHE. So usually through children's books, such as, I don't know the name of it, but there's a penguin one about two male penguins raising a little chick, and there's the king and king, you know, the princess, the queen and the princess or something like that. And it's about same sex relationships and, you know, it takes three to tango. So that's about three parents. So it opens it to like the non, non-nuclear family. I think that's it. And there's a really, but, good, um, author, there's a really good author actually um, called Ollie Pike, who I know he's just brought out um, his own podcast called Equality Education, which, and he, he's like really high up on the Guardian's top 100 um, LGBTQ authors for children's books. So I'd definitely recommend going across across to him and look at some of his books if if that's what you want to want to learn about and and you're interested in finding more about. Equally as well, there's another campaign called the Straight Jacket Campaign, which I know again we'll talk about not just the LGBTQ community, but um, in terms of sex education in in primary and secondary schools. Just care just to touch on that for us as well. Um, the Straight Jacket Campaign was one that happened in West London, and essentially the group uh, plastered schools with. Ofsted style posters which had like sexual health statistics on them and it was just about how it wasn't inclusive to um yeah it wasn't inclusive to like same-sex couples and like but also about sexual health in general it kind of just touched on the biological needs a bit and it didn't introduce children children like pupils to like safe sex in general like to be able to explore like the pleasures of it and everything so I think it's kind of covered everything under the Equality Act and it didn't really look at, you know, FGM, which is a huge thing, like a racial thing, like you were saying, and that kind of, unless we have an understanding of it, just like we were saying with the bipolar, it makes it scarier. So that campaign kind of went to say that we should need to introduce people to different cultural practices. So like different cultural practices, you know, different sexual orientations, because whether we identify with it or not, it is out there. And in order to have a truly inclusive environment, we have to cover all bases, whether it's uncomfortable or not. We have to have a general understanding of all these different areas that encompass like a multicultural life. And I think so they were really interesting to look at. Yeah. And I think you've had nailed it on the head there. Even even though like the CPD sort of like look, looks at other uh, aspects and issues. Um, again, it's really important because it's got the same message. It's about having these uncomfortable conversations to make them comfortable within society so people are aware of them, so people are educated on them. In regards to, obviously, you and your, your bipolar, uh, one of the studies that's been like referenced uh, throughout uh, for our questions, um, is an, it's an academic research paper, so obviously it's a bit harder to read. And it is it? For <laughs> <laughs> some of us. <laughs> You've not read it then, have you? <laughs> Please. <laughs> And then it was uh, released in 2014, and it's just a really good overview of differentiating bipolar disorder from ADHD and unipolar depression. So, yeah, like we said at the start with, uh, with Meg, you were obviously uh, diagnosed with uh, bipolar, but there is obviously confusion with uh, other people getting diagnosed with ADHD or other illnesses that are not, not right. So, again, that, that just brings about more awareness and educating more people on, on that front as well. 
And before we move on to sort of future episodes, I know that you did your dissertation on um, sex education within primary schools, is it? Um, yeah. And again, just, just quickly just touch on that, what that was, was about, um, because I think that would be a really good, good read for people moving forward to future episodes um, around that subject. Yeah, so I actually looked at the training that trainee teachers receive in order to deliver an inclusive sex and relationship education because it became statutory to have in all classrooms and majority of years, I think from lower key stage two upwards, I just looked at where the teachers were being trained on how to deliver an appropriate, inclusive, like culture, like completely relevant curriculum. And actually all the teachers I interviewed weren't trained for it they didn't they were using their own understanding of it which obviously comes from we learn about it from our parents and our friends and we all learn different things so delivering that to students it meant they were all learning different things so I think that's always been a personal interest of mine I did that with my undergraduate degree and it's and it is about just breaking down them barriers really and and integrating these conversations and these discussions into just mainstream education you know and Jonathan Glazard touched on it about creating a school culture that is open um, and open and inclusive and positive to talk about, you know, diversity and, and, and things like that. And it, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's absolutely what, what your dissertation is about. So like I say, if anyone wants to get in touch with Meg uh, to read that, uh, get on Instagram at PTC student underscore and moving forward, future episodes wise, um, we're going to hopefully carry on having these more discuss. um, these more difficult discussions moving forward, which is fantastic. Also, I'm still nervous. Um, but we're going to be looking at the LGBTQ um, community more and how that's sort of influencing education and whether more could be done to, to integrate that into primary education, particularly from a younger age. As well as that, we're going to touch on what Meg's already talked about, which is the influence of sex education in maybe an earlier age of school compared to being introduced into secondary school now and whether that's going to positively or negatively impact um, children's understanding. And yeah, like I say, it's just, just about having these conversations and, and learning on, on the way. And like I say, we do not know everything. And, and that is why we're here, just to yeah. learn from people like yourself and other people that are experts and or, you know, experiencing um, and living with, you know, in, in that society. And it's about just, just gaining that understanding from, from you guys. So, I mean, for me, yeah, it's been certainly been an eye opener this conversation um, and I'll definitely be taking a lot away from it. And I hope that people listening um, will do as well. So for me personally, Meg, thank, thanks once again. Um, if you want to get in touch with, with me or the podcast, it's on Instagram at the teachers of tomorrow or on Twitter, uh, get us on at TFT pod. Yeah, just following up with what Matty said, that we really, really appreciate the fact that you've come on here. You've been incredibly honest and open about what it is that you've been diagnosed with and how you've coped with it and also some of the difficulties that, that you faced during um, yeah, your past experiences and things like that. And yeah, just having this conversation and and having this platform, like me and Matty are really pleased that we have got you on and we are using this platform to raise awareness in in an issue that's not, it doesn't, um, it does, it's not just about obviously mental health and well-being, but it, like you touched on, it correlates with other issues within society as well. And that we as people and as teachers, we need to become more aware of these things if we are going to fulfill the potential of education and what education can really, really, really be about. 
education and what it can really be. <laughs> I got nervous there. I was like, what? But um, yeah, honestly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And yeah, it's just really refreshing to hear how honest and, and open you are about it. And yeah, like Matt said, I, well, I've definitely been educated and schooled. Um, no, yeah. Like I say, it's been, been a pleasure, Meg. I thank hope you, you've Meg. enjoyed it as well. Uh, I hope you've yeah, got yeah, thank you. Um, and yeah, like I say, tune back in when you're ready. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Thank you. To get in touch with us following the latest podcast episode, head over to at the Teachers of Tomorrow on Instagram or over on Twitter via at TFT Pod.